Good morning, Outward. My name is Clara. I am a Corbin student. I'm going into my third year. And this summer, Outward has given me some really cool opportunities to practice the ministry degree that I'm studying. So I get to serve as a youth intern, which has been really cool. Um, the reading today is from Galatians 2, verses 11 through 14. It says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Yes, can we pray together? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you this morning for everything that you've done for us. Lord, I'm asking this morning that you'd give us a sense by the power of your spirit of, of what you've done and how you've done it. Lord, that we would leave with a sense of what it means to live that out. Lord, I pray for all of those that are suffering this morning, that are in our midst, that are dealing with hurt and pain. Lord, I'm also uh, thanking you for those who are rejoicing this morning, like the woman this morning that is cancer-free. I just found out moments ago. Lord, we thank you uh, for your blessing in that. We ask this morning that you would speak to us by your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to thank you for being here. I know some of you are here because someone's being baptized, and so I'm so glad that you're, that you're with us, that you're celebrating uh, baptism uh, with our, our folks here. So thanks for coming and being a part of this and, uh, and, and helping, or, and, and I don't know, celebrating all that. That's uh, that's uh, really cool. It's a really cool day um, here. This is a, a much larger crowd than I was anticipating on the 4th of July. Happy 4th, by the way. Yeah, we celebrate independence. Can we still clap about our country? I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Merca. Um, in any case, uh, yeah, we're, we're excited uh, for the 4th. We're having a barbecue. Uh, afterwards, I am having a barbecue. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm having a barbecue. Got a brisket on the Traeger right now, so no, you can't come. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it's, it should be, should be fun. Um, yeah, so uh, many of you know we planted a church out in uh, Silverton, uh, Oregon here, which is just uh, 30 minutes away. And so we've sent quite a few folks uh, out, out there to Silverton. It's been going awesome. It's incredible. Uh, God is doing amazing things out there. We're excited about what he's doing. And so um, don't you go there and, and, and because you heard something cool is going on there, you should stay here and help us rebuild as we sent some of our best leaders. And so that would be great. Another thing that would be great is if you are, uh, if you call our church home and that this is, this is your place where you, uh, you're fed the word of God, would love it to see you begin giving or continue giving, uh, whatever that looks like. Uh, the church plant out in Silverton is, uh, so far, I think we've spent about $25,000, uh, getting that off the ground, um, 
and that's without a building. And so we, uh, we've spent some cash recently, but it is for the gospel. We're excited about that. What we need today is for some folks uh, to step up and, and give big in some big ways. That would be super helpful right now. We're not in dire straits. It's, it's, not, it's not crazy like that, but we, we need to get our savings back up. Uh, that would be super helpful. And our hope is that as we are financially stable and things like that, we're going to be able to plant more churches. And so your dollars go towards churches and the hope of the world being communicated in other places in our city, along with all of the other great churches uh, that are around us. And so we are in the book of Galatians. And so you can turn there if you got a Bible uh, with you. Galatians chapter 2. We're picking it up in verse 11, as Clara just read. And uh, we're talking about Gal- the book of Galatians because we, we want to talk about the gospel. We want to reaffirm what the gospel is and what it does, what it means for us. Many Christians believe that they, they start their Christian life with the gospel and then they move on to other things uh, in the Christian life, such as you know cleaning up their life and being a better person and trying to be nice and giving or serving or whatever. And so they add to all those things, uh, add to the gospel, and they kind of forget about the gospel. What this passage is going to tell us today is that the gospel is the means by which we move forward in the Christian life. It is something that sticks with us all day, every day, all the time. It is uh, the, the center point of Christianity. It is the hub, as Tim Keller says, the hub. It's not just one of the spokes. It is the axle of this wheel called Christianity. And I would say this, it is the hope of the world. It is the hope of the world in a massive way. Many years ago, a guy by the name of Nietzsche uh, famously proclaimed that God is dead. And by that, he meant that the need for God was no longer necessary because of the enlightenment. We know so much more now. Science and whatever these other things are uh, makes believing in a divine being untenable, like unhelpful and even dangerous. So Nietzsche kind of brings that along with many other people. And now we have what's called secularism. Uh, He ushered in this era of secularism, and today, the water that we swim in, the world that we are a part of, is all about secularism, which, according to, I think it's the Oxford Dictionary, it's not my definition, it's the principle of separation of the state from religious institutions. It's the principle of like making everything that has anything to do with religion, with God, to be completely separated from the state and from any type of public discourse or anything possible. And so what we have today is we have a world uh, that has succumbed to secularism in its fullness. We're, we're in this world that has fully embraced this insidious form of legalism. It, it's, it's a form of legalism that says, you know, God is not in the picture, but here are the rules of society. Some of them are good rules that really God is the one that came up with, such as we shouldn't be racist. We shouldn't be sexist. We shouldn't kill people. We shouldn't, you know, all, all of those kinds of things. But what our world has ushered in, what secularism has brought to us, is this form of legalism that says, if you break the rules, if you step out of line, if you say something that even you didn't mean to say, 
If, if in any way, shape, or form, you break the rules of society, you are out. You are gone. You are banished. So secularism is a kind of salvation. It's a kind of self-salvation that says, if I follow all the rules, society will accept me, and I will be okay. It is a form of legalism, and it says, you must do these things in order to be saved and inevitably not be uh, canceled by our culture. So our world is ruled by this type of secularism, and it creates a massive disunity. Look at our world today. All of, we, I feel like I talk about this every sermon, and it's just like, look at everything out there, and, and, look, and then let's look right here at the scriptures and just see the difference between these two. The world out there is disunified at a massive level. People constantly are saying, I've never seen the uh, political public discourse be so uh, bad. People are at each other's throats. When is this going to end? How, how is this going to resolve itself? You know, what's going to happen? I mean, there's just these dire things that are happening every day with disunity, with disunity, disunity, disunity. It is constantly that way. And people are being canceled, and they're being set aside, and they're being fired, and they're being all of those things through this legalism that is secularism that leads to disunity. Now, at the heart of the Christian faith lies a concept that is the hope of the world. At the heart of the Christian faith is a concept that is the resolution to everything that we see. But think about how difficult that is because our world has rejected anything having to do with faith, with God. It is secularist. However, what this world is all about, it is all about a new set of rules. It says, these rules from the Bible, these rules from religion are all bad rules. Now we have the good rules. Jesus says this, it's not the rules that are going to save you. It's not the rules. And the concept that I'm talking about is the concept of the gospel. And it is the hope of the world. It can transform you in a way that you've never been transformed. However, here's the problem. Many Christian people, people who subscribe to Christian things, have not been transformed by the gospel. They have not been transformed. Because what they've done is they've taken this idea of legalism, a list of rules, and they've traded the secularist rules, the secular legalism, and now they have a type of Christian legalism. And it's really worse. <laughs> it, it's kind of bad. Uh, it's, it, but it's, it's, it's a list of rules, and now people are not transformed because they have received the gospel in vain the way that Paul talks about it in the previous passage here. He says, in in order to make sure that I have not believed in vain or I haven't been teaching the wrong things, I brought my message to Peter uh, and and James and John and and I told them the message that I give and they confirmed I have the right message. But it's possible that we could have believed in vain. And I would go so far as to say that most of us believe improperly when it comes to the gospel. Most of us believe that the gospel is just the beginning of our Christian life and not the thing that sustains us all the way through our Christian life. 
But the question then arises, how does the gospel sustain us? How does the gospel transform us? How does the gospel turn me into a different person? How does the gospel become everything to me? How do I see my life change in the midst of this world? How do you this morning, maybe sitting here as someone who's a non-believer, have the real possibility of change in your life? And I would say this, there's a little fight in this passage. In fact, it's a big fight that almost led to the disillusion of the gospel and the message being lost completely. It almost led to that. It almost didn't happen because of this little battle. The Apostle Paul has been trying to tell the Galatian church, hey, these people who are trying to weigh you down with all of the rules and the regulations of Judaism, they are wrong. I got my message straight from God. Uh, Jesus himself met me on the road to, to Damascus. I took it to Peter and I shared my message with him. Peter didn't give me the message. I told Peter the message that I got from Jesus and Peter confirmed it, but Peter didn't teach it to me. And so he's making a, a case that says, this is not from man. It's not something that came from man. Hey, by the way, man's best ideas is fully, uh, ha, ha, have fully been enacted in our society today. Man's best ideas. And hence, the political system and chaos that we have today. Hence, all of the disunity that even seeps its way into the church as we fight about masks and as we fight about uh, the, the correct political party and as we fight about all of those things, that has seeped into here. And so Paul is trying to exclaim, here is the message that I got from God and this is the hope of the world, but there was a problem. Let's look at what the problem was. If you look at verse 11, he says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, that's important because of this. Paul had gone to Jerusalem. Maybe, uh, I think, yeah, uh, uh, Brandon was preaching. I gotta remember my staff's names. Um, uh, Brandon was teaching on this. Maybe he went into Acts 15, which was a, a council in Jerusalem, and they talked about this issue here. I'm not gonna go into that right now. Uh, and so Paul had gone to Jerusalem to meet with Peter, and now Paul says, but when Cephas, Cephas is another name for Peter, by the way, if you're not familiar with that. So he says, but when Peter came to Antioch, that's where Paul was, I opposed him to his face. <laughs> oh, man. Like, that escalated quickly, right? Uh, Paul goes to Jerusalem, and what happened, he says, they gave me the right hand of fellowship. They're like, welcome, Paul. So glad you're preaching the gospel. That's fantastic. And, and Paul says, but when Peter came, I was like, oh, yeah? And he got in his face. He got, are you guys awake this morning? You awake? All right, all right, come on. I don't know, it's the 4th of July. I mean, did you party last night and now not feeling so well this morning? I'm not sure what it is, but you gotta wake up. I can't preach to a dead crowd, like, like wiggle or do something. I don't know what you need to do. But Paul opposes him to his face because he stood condemned. Holy cow. Paul says, I'm so passionate about what I'm about to tell you that I stood up to the guy that Jesus said to, Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock, Cephas means rock, I will build my church. Peter, 
Like, here's Peter. He's pretty much a very central person in the scriptures, in the gospels. He's a very central figure. He is uh, a leader. Paul says, not only am I passionate about this message, but I will oppose anybody, I'll challenge anybody who wants to bring something different. Why did he oppose Peter? Why did he oppose him? Hey, Dave, you know how to silence that? Thank you. We have a problem with our alarm, and it beeps, and it was annoying me. We have a fire alarm right in that little room right there. <sighs> we got to get that fixed sometime. Okay. We'll cut all this from the podcast, you know. We won't, actually. It'll just be in there. Why did he oppose him to his face? He says in verse 12, for before certain men came from James. Stop right there for a second. Who is James? James is the head of the church in Jerusalem. He's a big figure. James is over a church that is largely made up of Jews and people that came out of legalistic Judaism. So here's James. And James, it's, it, it would almost seem like the people that came from James are emissaries of James. So here's, James has a church in Jerusalem. He has some people that are like, we're gonna go to Antioch. And so they go to Antioch. And so it could seem like they're coming from James. Although what you read in Acts 15, 24 is that they didn't come from James. They, they came, in fact, it says this in Acts 15, 24. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. So that's coming from James. He's saying, I didn't send those guys, but here's some certain men came from James. Before these guys came from James, here's what was going on. He, that is Peter, was eating with Gentiles. Who are Gentiles? Maybe you, you know this already. Gentiles are anybody that is not Jewish. Most of us in this room are all Gentiles. We're people that did not grow up with the law of God and following these rules of the Old Testament and the sacrifices and you can't eat pork and you can't do this and can't, you can't wear something with two fabrics in it and you can't, all of these dietary rules, all of these ceremonial clean rules, all that type of stuff. These Gentiles are people that are just, they're just the salt of the earth. I mean, they are just... Uh, they are people that, um, you know, I don't know. They're just from the world. They're not from a religious system. And so he says he was eating, Peter was eating with Gentiles. Why is that important? Well, because of this. In Acts chapter 10, there's a little story. And the story goes like this. Peter was on his way somewhere. And uh, while, while he's on his way there, he stops at a house. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go up and take a nap. So he goes up on the roof of this building. And all of a sudden, he, has, he falls into a trance, some type of vision. God gives him a vision. And in this vision, he sees a sheet coming down from heaven. And on, I have no idea why God gives visions like this, but it's like a bed sheet. Imagine a bed sheet that's coming down from heaven. And there's a bunch of animals on this bed sheet. And God says to Peter, he says, kill and eat. And Peter says, Lord, I would never eat those types of foods because I'm Jewish. And God says, go ahead and kill and eat. And in that, God was telling him, hey, the old way is over. There's a new thing starting. And now I want you to go share the gospel message of Jesus with these Gentile people. 
And so what happens is Peter wakes up, he meets these guys, they, he goes with them to their house. These are Gentiles. He goes into their house. There's a bunch of people there. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 10, verse 28. It says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So Peter had had this vision. God had spoken to him and had told him, hey, these Gentile people are no longer uh, common or unclean. Now you can go share the gospel with them. God himself had told him this. And so Peter had been eating with the Gentiles. Look at verse uh, verse uh, 12 again. He was eating with the Gentiles before these guys came from Jerusalem. And then it says this. But when they came, when the guys came from the Jerusalem church, when the guys who were super legalistic, when the guys who were still stuck in obeying all the rules and all of this stuff, when those guys came, he drew back. What else did he do? He separated himself. Uh, and he feared the circumcision party. The, the circumcision party means it's the guys who say, you know what, you need Jesus plus obeying the law. If, if you want to get saved, what has to happen is this. You need to receive Jesus, yes, but you better follow the rules. Then you'll be saved. Which is a total lie. It's a total lie. Guess what? It's the same lie that secularism tells you. If you obey all the rules, then you will be saved. But as soon as you break the rules, you are not saved. You are canceled. Peter, after having received a word from God, Peter, after having accepted this vision from God, turns around and turns his back on these Gentile believers. He lets these Jewish people come in, and he, instead of saying, let's all have this meal together, he began going and saying, I'm going to go hang out with these people. I'm going to go hang out with them. Now, I think this kind of happens in the church today, doesn't it? I think this kind of happens right here and right now. You find out the people that you want to hang out with. Find out the people that you don't want to hang out with. Maybe you're from the upper crust of society and you, uh, you have a good job and you're not really in need. You provide for yourself. But then to be in a community group or to be associated with someone who has regular needs in their life, I wonder if it could be said of us, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing what other people in his community would think. It happens so often. It happens with race in our churches today. Most of our churches, I mean, you have black churches, you got white churches, you got Hispanic churches, you got those, those kinds of things. And race is obviously a huge deal right now. But this is basically what was going on, is that this guy was saying, Peter was saying, you know what, I am going to set aside that race. Gentiles were from a different race, and I'm going to go be with these people. That also happens in, in our churches today. It happens publicly, as we say in the public sphere, also happens in, in the church uh, sphere as well, which is, you know, there's, there's some Christians in here that are also Democrats. <gasps> Can you believe it? 
Can you believe it? There's, there's some people in here that didn't vote for Trump, <gasps> which I think is very believable, but uh, maybe you can't believe that. Uh, how easy is it to separate ourselves? How easy is it to separate and to draw back from the people that we disagree with? See, what happens is this, is that when you get a secular mindset, when secularism has taken over, what happens is this, is that you become a legalist and you say, here are the rules. And essentially what you've done is you've added to Jesus. It's Jesus plus republicanism or Jesus plus democratism ism, liberalism, whatever the word is. <laughs> uh, it's Jesus plus being wealthier. It's Jesus plus being poor. It's Jesus plus being something. P- Paul says, I opposed Peter because he was acting hypocritically. He's going to say in just, just a moment, they came, he drew back, drew back, he separated himself, he feared those people And what happened was this. It wasn't just Peter that was affected by this sin. It was the rest of the Jews. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Barnabas is a guy that's been running with Paul for some time. Barnabas was with Paul in Jerusalem and was like standing right there with him. They were shoulder to shoulder talking about how, man, this is the gospel. We're not giving in an inch to this. But Barnabas himself was swayed by this. Guess what? If Peter, if Barnabas, if a bunch of other Jews can be convinced to separate themselves and to draw lines and to create disunity, in their community, then you and I can do the same. And guess what? That's exactly what's happening in our world today through secularism. We just have a religious twist on it. We just have a religious twist on it. What is their problem? It says this in verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas slash Peter, Before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul says, when I saw that their conduct was not in line with this, and when I saw that he was like being a complete hypocrite, like you're a Jew and you hang out with Gentiles, which you know that uh, the old way of thinking was that you shouldn't be doing that, but you did it anyway, which was fine according to the gospel, but that's what, and that's what you've been doing, but now you want the Gentiles to act like Jews, even though you've been hanging out with Gentiles? It's such hypocrisy. It's blatant hypocrisy. It is a, a milestone of hypocrisy. And Paul said, this is such an important deal that I must... Tell Cephas to his face and in front of all these people, that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. He says, and this is such a key point, when I saw that their conduct, and the the words here, or the word, I think it's conduct, is like 
orthopodeo. It's where we get the idea of orthopedic or um, um, something like that. Um, it talks about straightening things out. It's, it's, it's about straightening something. He's saying, when I saw that there was something not straight, it was not in line with the truth of the gospel. The Apostle Paul imagines a straight line. When I was in construction uh, or working in construction all the time, when you're setting up forms for concrete, you oftentimes pull a string line, or you do it in framing as well, but you pull a string line and you pound all of your stakes in line with that string line. And then you check your form and you make sure that it's straight with a string line. And that's what Paul is saying. There is a string line that's been set up and this is out of line with that string line. We've got a crooked form. We've got a crooked way of life here. And the crooked way of life is in this fact. That he was not walking in step with. He was not in line with the truth of the gospel. What was he in line with? He's in line with the lie of legalism. He was in line with, which is a crooked line, the lie of secularism that says if you obey all the rules, then you'll be accepted. So why do anything, anything against culture? He, he's saying you, you are not in line with the truth of the gospel. Remember in our previous passage, he says, I went there and I boldly proclaimed that this is the gospel. I wanted to preserve the actual message and the message of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And what he's saying is he's saying, your actions do not show that you believe the gospel. You're not reenacting the gospel. You haven't reenacted the gospel in your life. And Paul isn't saying you're not saved because of that. He's saying you're telling people that it's Jesus plus living according to the law. You're adding to Jesus. And Paul says when you add to Jesus, you take everything away. And he's saying this. How can you demand from someone, from someone else something that was not required of you? And he's going to go into that and we're going to get into that next week. But what Paul really wants to communicate to us this morning is basically this. You did not get saved because you obeyed the rules. You did not get saved. Jesus didn't save you because you're a white, American, tidy, wealthy person. You did not get saved because you're circumcised. You did not get saved. You, did, you were not saved on the basis of what you did. And if that's what you believe has happened to you, you've believed in vain. It is not in line with the truth of the gospel. It is the lie of secularism that our world is, is telling. Why? does the truth of the gospel provide transformation in a way that the lie of secularism does not? It's because of this. It opposes everything that we think is the right way. We think um, up is up and down is down. The gospel says 
down is up and up is down. You think the way to uh, making things better is, is through, the, uh, through power, but it's actually through weakness. You think that the way to, to fulfillment is through uh, intimacy with anyone and everyone. You think that the, the way to fulfillment and happiness is through you determining for you what is right. And he says there is only one truth, and it is the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is, is this. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't have a leg to stand on with God. I don't have a little bit of goodness. I don't have any goodness. Even my righteousness is actually sin because I think that it's saving me. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. What that means is this, is that I do not have a leg to stand on and I am sinful beyond belief. I'm so sinful that God had to die for me. But God loves me so much that he wanted to die for me, that he wanted to give himself. But what must happen is this, is not a change of my actions and a change of my conduct and a change of all of those things. What must happen is that there has to be a change of heart that happens by faith. It is only by faith that I can receive Jesus Christ and accept it. It cannot come by faith plus working a little bit. It cannot come because of of a little bit of works or anything. It must only come because I'm trusting in him to save me. And what happens is this, is that instead of Jesus discarding you, instead of Jesus canceling you, instead of Jesus doing away with you, and the way that our world will do away with you in a moment's notice if they knew about your darkest moment. Don't tell me for a second that you don't have a dark moment, that if it went up on the web and someone proclaimed it, that you would not be canceled, that you would never be fit for office, that you would never make (laughs) the light of day, you would be canceled. Every one of us has at least one of those, and you will be canceled. What does Jesus do with you? Does he draw back from you? Does he separate himself from you? Does he fear? Oh man, if people knew that I have this guy following me, uh, I don't know what they'd think of the Christian religion. Oh man, uh, let's just, uh, you know, how about you, uh, you could join the Mormons or something like that? Like, like I, I don't know, or whatever religion is. But does Jesus draw back from us like Peter drew back from the Gentiles? Does Jesus separate himself? Does Jesus fear what other people think? Jesus knows your moment. The, the moment where you feel the most vulnerable. Jesus knows the, the times the places in your heart, the, the, the essence of who you are. He knows the dirtiness of your life and he knows the dirtiness of my life and he sees it. Does he draw back? Does he separate himself? Does he run because he fears what other people would think about him as God? No. Jesus does not draw back. He enters in. It says, 
In John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word being Jesus. Jesus became flesh. God became flesh. And he dwelt among us. Do you understand what that means? That Jesus, instead of like leaving the party and saying, I'm not going to be seen with the Gentiles. I'm not going to be seen with all these people that seem like sinners. Jesus says, no, I'm entering into, I'm going to have a feast with you. I'm going to sit down with you. He enters in. He, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Here is this incredible being who, here is this person who is God who instead of drawing away from and be recoiling from sin the way that Peter had out of fear, he enters in. Jesus enters into your life. Jesus enters into your stuff. Jesus enters into your garbage. Jesus enters into your most sinful moment. And he comes and he dwells with you. That's a beautiful, one of the most beautiful aspects of the gospel. He dwells with you. And if you could think about that for a moment, if you could think about like, why do I deserve to have the Son of God full of grace and truth, His glory in my life? And it's just because He loves you. Not only does Jesus not draw back, but he enters in. Jesus also does not separate himself. He joins himself to us. Next week, we'll be talking about union with Christ a little bit. We'll be talking about like, like I am with him and he's with me. And like the life I, I live, I now live by the power of him. I mean, like it's, it's amazing. But there's this other great verse. We were just singing about it. The last song in the first set. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like Jesus does not draw back. He enters in. Jesus doesn't separate himself from us. He conjoins himself to us. He says, not only am I going to be with you, I'm going to be in you. I'm going to be a part of you and you're going to be a part of me. What's Paul saying when he says, you are not walking in step with the gospel. Paul is saying this, don't you see what happened to you in the gospel? The gospel told you that God enters in with you that he joins himself to you, how can you separate yourself from other people? How can you be discriminatory towards people of another race? How can you discriminate in the local church? How can you be somebody who chooses to act that way when God has accepted you in the midst of all of your sin? The third thing is Jesus doesn't fear. He loves 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The perfect love of Jesus casts out the fear of this. 
when you get the perfect love of Jesus. He knows your garbage. That's why it's so important. When you come to Jesus, there has to be a full acknowledgement. I'm more sinful than I, than I even know about. But he loves me. Perfect love casts out fear. The gospel is this. He enters in. He joins himself to us. And he loves you immensely. More than you could possibly know. Paul says to Peter, how dare you not reenact the gospel with other people? Do you know where disunity comes from? Disbelief in the gospel. Disunity says, I need Jesus plus all the right people around me. Do you know where sin comes from? Disbelief in the gospel. It's not walking in line with the gospel. I need Jesus, but I also need this thing, this stuff. Money, sex, power, privilege, position. Jesus says, I didn't accept you on that basis. I accept you as you are, as sinful as you are, and I loved you to the end. You must know that. That is the gospel, men and women. And this morning what we have is an opportunity to go to baptism and communion. Communion commemorates that Jesus went to the cross for us. Baptism shows people who are saying publicly, I want to, I want to publicly acknowledge the fact that Jesus has joined himself with me and I with him. So uh, can I invite the ushers forward here as we go to communion? If you're new to this, this is how we do it at Outward Church. Can I just grab one of those from you? Thank you. Um, just go ahead and stand up and come, come forward and grab communion. If you're a believer here this morning, what's that? Two in back as well. There's two in back as well, right back there. Just hang on to that. We'll partake together in just a moment. take a moment just after you grab that to just bow your head with me we do this every week we're supposed to just process the gospel in our minds to do business with God to recognize our sin to recognize the fact that we need the gospel of Jesus Christ this is what enables us to not live in superiority to others and separate ourselves from others that don't look like us, don't seem like us, don't feel like us because we recognize that every person in this room, this is why you should be at church together. This is why we should be at church. Every person in this room is acknowledging I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and I need Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? And I just, I wonder if you could just pray right now, Lord Jesus, would you show me how I need the gospel in this moment? 
How have I acted hypocritically and treated other people with contempt? It might be someone from another race, from a political party, somebody in the church. It might have been my spouse. It might have been my friend. It might have been a coworker. It might have been anybody walking down the street. How have I refused to reenact the gospel with them? Or would you show me how I've separated myself Would you show me how I haven't entered in? Or would you show me where I feared other people's opinion of me and so I acted hypocritically? Lord, would you remind me of my sin right now? All of the ways that I need forgiveness. And this is what I think Jesus would say to you right now. Hey, I know about it. I saw it. I know where you're at right this minute. But I want you to know, I know everything And yet I love you immensely. I still love you. Nothing is required from you to gain my love. And this is what I think Jesus would say. This is my body, which I gave for that sin. Yes, and that sin. Yes, and that sin, and that sin. I gave it for you because I wanted you to see how much I love you. Would you do this in remembrance of me? Let's partake of the body. And if you were to take your sin and you were to just kind of make marks on a page every time you've done it, every time you've been in that place and you were just to scribble and cover all that, Jesus says, this is my blood, which is for you that covers every one of those sins, past, present, and future. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the blood. Jesus wants you to experience his love. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, your acceptance. May we pass that on to others. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And so this morning, we're going to be celebrating baptism And so when someone comes out of the water, I don't know if you're going to be able to see it. I don't know if we're going to have a camera here or not, Uh, kind of running a skeleton crew because it is the 4th of July. Um, So we may have a camera that's uh, filming it. I I doubt that's happening. But in any case, hopefully you can see. But when people come out of the water, we celebrate this because this represents going from death to life. And so uh, would you, this may be out of character for you, but would you just clap and yell and scream and just like let's party because this is what it's all about i think we have at least eight baptisms this morning like this is crazy for us we got new believers we got some older believers we got people that want to proclaim their love for jesus let's celebrate that together here as we worship